You're listening to a podcast from 702. 702. The Naked Scientist. It's 20 minutes to uh, 3 o'clock and that means it's time for us to connect with Dr. Chris Smith and uh, he joins us now as we bring you our segment every Monday where he answers your science-related questions. Good afternoon, Chris. Hello. Yeah, good to be with you. I know it's been a while. I've missed our conversations. Oh, well, I've missed you too. Welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So the calls are ready um, and we've got some of the text and voice notes coming in. So 011-883-0702 and then you can drop us a voice note on 072-702-1702. Conrad, let's kick off with you. You're in Krugerstorp this afternoon and you're asking about electricity. Yes, Azania. How are you doing? We're good. Welcome, Conrad. That's good. How's it, Dr. Smith? How's it? Yeah, good. Uh, the question I want to ask is regarding generating electricity um, using um, magnets, uh, permanent magnets, um, AC motors, and copper wire coil. Um, I was wondering if you could explain the, the process regarding that, just how it works. I saw it on the internet. Um, it looked quite interesting. Wow. And it worked Hi, from Conrad. what you saw, Conrad? It worked? Yeah, what I saw was it was working, so okay. I would just like to know, uh, would you mind if I listen to the radio? Absolutely, you can listen in. That's Conrad in Krugerstorp. Chris? Hello, Conrad. You can trace the origins of this story back over 150 years because Michael Faraday, who was one of the pioneers of electromagnetism, was one of the first people really to show that it was possible to not just make a magnetic field with an electric current but to reverse the process and use a magnetic field to produce an electric current. So what happens when electricity flows through a motor? What it's doing is running through a coil of wire inside the motor and because a flow of electricity produces a magnetic field, that magnetic field interacts with either another coil producing a magnetic field or a permanent magnet producing a magnetic field and when two magnetic fields interact if they're organized in such a way that the two magnetic fields oppose each other then they will repel and in that way the motor will get a kick round and it's pushed round. On the other hand if you turn that process round and instead of moving the electricity through the wire if you move the magnet over the wire then the electrons will be made to flow in the wire and that's induction and so what you can do is to produce electricity by switching the process on its head. So a dynamo is basically, instead of an electric motor, a dynamo is a motor that you're moving rather than the motor consuming electricity to make movement. So basically you are turning a wire inside a magnetic field and Comrade mentioned fixed magnets. So if you have a motor that's got fixed magnets inside it and they are creating a magnetic field, Mm -hmm. as the wire turns inside that magnetic field, the wire is seeing, in inverted commas, a change in the magnetic field because it will rise and fall as the rotor goes round and that will have the effect of making the electrons move, which is what Michael Faraday was able to sort of posit might be going on and then James Clark Maxwell refined the ideas mathematically a bit later on. So that's basically what it is. You can have current flowing into a motor making the motor move or you reverse the process and you make the motor move and current comes out. And that is basically how we generate the electricity that we distribute around the country. Ah, okay. So just on a bigger scale, of course. Thank you. That was Conrad. And next we have Moya calling from Johannesburg. Hi, Moya. Um, hello. Hi. How old are you, Moya? 
I'm eight years old. Oh, wonderful. Okay, so what are you curious about today? Um, I'm curious about what's inside fire. Like, how, how is fire made? And I also have another one. Um, when animals talk to you, are they speaking their own language or are they just making noises? Okay, love those. Absolutely love those. Chris, let's tackle Moya's first question about what is inside fire. Hello, Moya. The answer is that fire is vapor. It's a bit like when you put the kettle on and water, which is a liquid, gets very hot and it turns into steam, that is water vapor. When you put something on the fire, the fire makes the thing hot and the heat causes the equivalent of steam to come out of the fuel which is on the fire, which could be sticks, it could be paper, it could be coal or charcoal, for example, or just gas. And when that mixes with oxygen from the air, oxygen oxidizes the fuel and it makes it burn. And that burning process produces more heat, which we enjoy. But also what it does is it makes some of the material, which is the fuel, the vapor, the steam, as it were, coming out of what you're burning, glow. And when it glows, it gives out light. And that's why you can see where the reaction is happening. You can see the flames. So effectively, a flame is a glowing hot gas. <laughs> so that's what fire is. The other question was animals talking. Mm -hmm. And the answer is that different animals make different sounds, obviously. And what researchers have discovered in recent years is that different animals that live in different groups in different places also have their own mini languages. They talk in what are called dialects. And this is best studied for very vocal marine mammals like dolphins and whales for example and researchers in the University of St Andrews in Scotland have been studying this for a very long time and they have found that different groups of whales have almost the equivalent of accents when they talk to each other wow. in the same way that my accent is different to your accent we would nevertheless talk a common language we recognize that we're both talking English but we're talking it in a slightly different way whales also seem to do this as well and it's probably because where do they learn their songs from they learn them from those around them their family and uh, social group and where do they spend most of the time in that group so they learn to sound like that group mm -hmm. and it's exactly the same with human accents so there are shared sounds between animals but they are spoken in inverted commas with very specific ways which are unique in some instances to that particular social group oh, what a fascinating question and even more fascinating answer uh, moya you got all of that so fire is a glowing hot gas that's amazing absolutely thank you for Very asking it yeah yeah are you satisfied yes thank you Very. for your question moya you're welcome that's Moya in Johannesburg. Yeah, um, you know, there is no silly question. There is no question small, too complex and so on for the naked scientists. So keep them coming. That was Moya, who's eight. And next we go to Abdullah. Um, Abdullah, my producer says you're nine years old. Yeah, that's true. Oh, wonderful. Okay, so what would you like to know today, Abdullah? I would like to know... I'm still thinking... <laughs> You want to think some more? No, I don't want Are you ready? Yes. Okay, you can go for it, Abdullah. Why don't you call a spider a land octopus? Why don't we call a spider a land octopus? Is it because it also has eight legs? Yes. <laughs> I love it. Uh, do you have another question or is this all that's on your mind today? I have another one. 
Oh, yay. What is it? Why does it Eight legs. Why does it have eight legs? A follow-up to that odd. Brilliant, Abdullah. So listen in. Uh, Chris? Well, hi, Abdullah. The answer to the first one is why don't we call them a land octopus? I think that's probably because they're different animals entirely because mm-hmm. spiders are arachnids and octop- octopodes, I think is the plural. They're obviously sea creatures. They are not arachnids that live in the sea. They are a completely different soft-bodied animal, completely different group of animals. And yes, they have eight limbs, but they work completely differently and they evolved completely differently. Um, I, I can't remember what the second question was. What was the second one? Why do they have eight legs? Well, it's the way that they've evolved to, to be. And uh, that's a get-out answer, a bit of a weak answer. <laughs> but the answer is that anything on Earth looks the way it does because it has evolved that way to be best optimized mm-hmm. to the environment in which it exists. How do spiders operate? Well, their family group of arachnids, they are often producing silk, they make webs, they have a life cycle which is around kind of the way in which they exist in sync with their environment. Mm-hmm. And that environment has selected for a particular body form that that group of animals have. And so they, they have effectively optimized their bodies to do what they do and fit in with a particular niche and opportunity in the environment. And that's what they do very well. Yes. Okay. Um, Abdullah, there's the answer. Yes. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye-bye, Abdullah. Calling from Mokopani there. Um, and, yeah, let's take your questions. How are you going to top the, uh, an eight-year-old and a nine-year-old this afternoon with your questions? Let's take a quick break with the Naked Scientist, and then uh, we'll continue with your uh, curiosities this afternoon. 702. The Naked Scientist. So how do you top those questions? How do you follow from there? Leo, you've got the task of following from Abdullah and Moya earlier. What's your question for the Naked Scientist? Hi, Aza and the Naked Scientist. Um, I'm curious about the sporting website. How do they get to update information, stats in real life, almost from all over the world at the same time? Mm, okay. Um, so websites, you say? Yes, sporting websites. They they they, they update uh, stats and uh, mm. and and results almost at the same time and from different sporting codes all over the world. I don't know how they do it. I just hope. Uh, the naked scientist can answer this. <laughs> okay, thank you, Leo. Uh, how are you going to tackle this one, Chris? Hi, Leo. This is really a question about news gathering mm. and, and how journalism, albeit in this case sports journalism, is done. And the answer is that when you are a multinational organization, a news gathering source that's, that's collecting information from across the world, there are a number of ways that this can be achieved. In some instances, companies have a presence in multiple countries and they'll have a correspondent or a reporter who's stationed in those different countries and they'll be going to various venues and matches. They'll be watching the things on local other media outlet coverage, whoever's got the rights to show a a match or something. They will then be filing reports Mm. back to those sports sites or sports sources that they work for to then put that content out online for their particular subscribers, their users and their visitors. Other instances, what they'll do is rather than pay to have a particular correspondent or a particular reporter at any given venue, what you sometimes do is you talk to the company that has got the rights, they're called the rights, to distribute or show or 
broadcast a particular match from a particular venue and you will arrange to license in other words you buy a share of the output from that venue and they're sending you back pictures and audio and streaming for example as it's happening and you're able to show that on your website and there may also be as part of that deal the ability to as the information comes in archive it on your website so you can show highlights or you could show the entire match or something or an entire horse race or something on your website for a certain period of time afterwards so there's a range of ways of doing this mm -hmm. one is that you pay to have a person at a, a match on the ground and they are reporting in real time and they're tapping into a, a computer or a keyboard or a phone at the match side and they are sending that straight back to the website to publish it or you've got a third party who you're hiring to do that on your behalf or you're just buying the rights in from whoever's got the rights to televise a particular match or something and you're mm. putting that on your website. So there's a yes. range of ways of doing this. Yeah, absolutely. And then the websites or the news platform, of course, uh, then is able to use what is disseminated. That servers kind of collects and the data is captured and then it's disseminated. So, uh, for instance, in South Africa, you'll find journalists all part of a particular uh, group you know, that gets information from sports and uh, recreation, for instance, or even SAFA, they do their own collation and then they distribute that to journalists. So everybody then will have it from the source, so to speak, if we look at that second option that Chris has talked about. Leo, there you go. Thank you for that question. Um, Ray in Rodeport, how are you doing, Ray? Hello, hello. I'm good, thank you. How are you? We're good. Welcome. Awesome. Thank you very much. Hello, Dr. Chris. So I have something Hi. that I need to, to ask about in terms of finding out whether I'm losing my mind or not. <laughs> if you're standing in traffic, you're standing in a bit of a traffic jam, and the cars in front of you all have their indicators on us, talking about the same direction indicators. Um, for a count of three, the indicators will be in sync, and then they go out of sync, and then at some point they come back into sync again, but only for a count of three. So obviously I've spent a lot of time in traffic, but I also want to know, you know, is this like a thing or what? I'll listen on the radio. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Ray. <laughs> that is a lot this of is time an easy experiment to do in Johannesburg. It is. There is a lot of traffic. Watch all, um, everyone who's listening from their cars also try to observe this to see whether after yes, three, indeed. one of them will time out, will go out of sync. Mm -hmm. The answer is that the way that these units are built that flash lights on and off, they, they use a timer. And the timer works in a range of different ways to, to flash the light on, cut the current off, turn the light on, turn the light off. And they are not really stringently timed. So different units work roughly at the same time interval, but not perfectly. And if the voltage is slightly different across the device, if, say, you know, a, a car has a newer device, older device, all these things can make a difference to the current that flows, the time, that the charging time, the discharge time. And this will very subtly affect how long it takes the device to flash on and off. And so although all the indicators may start flashing to start with, if you imagine everyone turns their indicator on at the same time, if there's a bit of a drift on your particular unit, then the person who you're timing it against, they've got similar drift on their unit, so the two are going to eventually go out of sync. But remember, a broken clock is still right twice a day, so they will still <laughs> eventually drift back together and, and flash at roughly the same time again. So they're going into sync and out of sync because they're flashing a tiny amount different at a slightly different rate, which means that they will at some point synchronize, and you're likely to notice them when they're all synchronized because that appeals to your attention and desire for good order and digit bias. <laughs> 
then they drift off being synchronized so you notice oh they're not flashing at the same time anymore and then they come back into synchrony and you think oh they've gone back into synchrony again and it's because each of the individual flashing units is because they're not medical devices because we're not sending them to foreign space foreign planets and relying on them for people's lives we're just relying on them as a signal then they are allowed to drift a bit and mm -hmm. as a result they are not perfect and the time that one flashes at will be a slightly different rate to the one that the next one flashes at and that's right. why they do that so uh, a, a clock being broken uh, what a, a broken clock is 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 right at least twice is that just a saying or is there truth to that well, it's true that a broken oh. clock is right twice a day, isn't it? Because uh, <laughs> if, you, if the hands don't move, it, the time will continue, and so it'll be one o'clock in the afternoon, then it'll be one o'clock in the morning. It's, uh, it's still twice a day. It's still right, okay. but it's just that you didn't realise it. Okay. Chris, thank you very much. What a great question from Marie. Enjoy the week. Take care. See you soon, and you. Bye-bye.